Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about finally eliminating screen problems in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you're joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, welcome back. You know you're in for a treat. And if you are a new friend, we are so glad you found us. You are no longer alone with all of your screen questions. You finally have found your people and some answers that may just change your life. So before we get started today, I haven't done this in a while. I have to share a little story. I have to share a glimpse of a screen strong moment that we experienced yesterday as You know, if you're an old friend, you know that many years ago we struggled with gaming addiction and our oldest son became so addicted that he dropped out of college and you've heard about all that pain. And so we decided to do things different with our younger kids. And so through the years, I have been very keenly aware of the daily benefits of this decision. You think I would get kind of numb to this, but I am not. I feel it every day. And yesterday was another reminder of why I wouldn't trade that game-free decision for anything else. So you know my boys are in high school now. They're seniors. They're about to graduate. And boy, the time flies. You know, you always hear moms say that. But I remember the days when they used to fish a lot. They were in middle school. They had time to do this because they weren't driving and they didn't have all these complicated hobbies. But as high school got busier, you know, and sports and music took all their time, they put that hobby on hold until just this week. So now that they're winding down their high school career, they had a little more time this week on their hands. And yesterday they called a few friends, they got their fishing gear together and they all headed out to fish. And you cannot even believe how excited I was and the smile on my face as I look out the door and I saw these big old huge teenage boys with all their fishing poles and gear and they were stuffing all this stuff in the pickup truck and their friends were there and it was just so fun. When they got home, I asked if they caught a fish because I had given them instructions to say that, you know, you have to go catch fish because that's what we're having for dinner. And of course, we always joke about that. Um, But I said, okay, what did you catch? And they said um, that they did not catch anything, but they were so happy. They were beaming and they're walking in the kitchen and we're talking about the fact they didn't catch any fish. And one of them said, mom, just being outside and all those trees made me feel so good. You know, they've been covered up with their exams and papers and all this. He said, I haven't done that enough lately. I decided that I'm going to spend the summer outside. And he named a few friends who were really into fishing and said that he was going to give them a call. And what he was describing was this genuine love for nature and all of that natural dopamine that we get when we are outside. It was a classic description of how nurturing being outside is for all of us, but especially our kids, our young kids, and especially our teenagers who are so stressed these days, just to be in the woods surrounded by the big outdoors. And I didn't even ask him, why were you in the woods when you were fishing? <laughs> Cause, you know, And he said, well, we, we, had to, we had to go hiking and we found some new holes and stuff to fish. So anyway, so we've been talking about dopamine a lot over here lately. Our goal as parents, as you know, is to keep adding activities to our kids' lives that bring them this natural 
dopamine that keeps them at their baseline. We want to do everything we can to steer them clear of the activities that cause that unnatural, ridiculously insane large amounts of dopamine, like video games and social media, and especially TikTok, by the way, and, and of course, drugs and alcohol. They are all the same. All dopamine is the same when it comes to spiking these high amounts. And I, and I say kind of loosely, I say they're getting drunk on dopamine and it's too much dopamine. But yesterday was such a reminder of that natural dopamine and how powerful it is. And, and they're still so happy with that. So that healthy baseline includes all the wonderful things that are found in nature. And when you combine it with spending time with your friends and doing something like fishing, where your brain can relax and not be overstimulated. It's just a home run. So just another example of how Screenstrong works on a practical level. And it's a reminder of how planting seeds and ideas early on when your kids are little and then introducing them to a variety of hobbies will pay off later for sure. And so for many of you, this little story may not be very significant right now because this is how you naturally live. But if you are living with a gamer or a screen dependent kid, you will get the significance of this. And I want to encourage you that life on the other side is so rich and so possible. So um, today we are talking with a wonderful friend that I have known for so many years and who actually has just shared much of this journey with me. She is a celebrity over here. At Screen Strong, and we all love her book, Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. This book has changed so many people's lives. And I just have to say, right before I hit the record button, I have a meeting after I record, and I was texting my friend to say, I will be right with you after my podcast. And she texted me right back because I told her who I was having on today. And she texted me right back. And I'm reading this from my phone. It says, can you tell Dr. Victoria Dunkley that after the Bible, her book changed our life and our family more than any other book. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually don't cry at the beginning of a podcast, but I cry too. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. welcome, Dr. Victoria Dunkley. Oh, oh that was such gosh. a great introduction. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I can't believe she just texts. I'm just like, I, I have oh, hold on to get my Kleenex. I mean, I, <laughs> I just, I don't even, I don't even know how to say it, but we have missed you. We've wanted to get you on here before. Now you did do some interviews with us back last year. So if you're listening, please go back and listen to all the other interviews that we've done with Dr. Dunkley, but welcome. Welcome to the show today. Thank you, Melanie. I'm so glad we finally are sitting down together. I have to say, you know, I did, I did a, took a moratorium on all podcasts and for the last six months or something, but I was still speaking and I, I kept referring people to Screen Strong. So now that I'm back here, I'm like, this is like so much more fulfilling <laughs> to yeah. have a conversation. Um, yes. We were just talking about, hopefully we'll be doing this more. On Definitely for sure. Yeah, we're here. We're not going anywhere and we're going to loop you back in the fam over here, we've got to get your message out. And truly, we want you to know how grateful we are for everything. You have no idea how many people and all the ripple effects of the hard work, because I know it's so hard to write these books <laughs> and just your hard work. So can you um, just give us a little update of 
just where you are, because I think you're looking at an updated version, right? I am. Um, I think the 10-year anniversary is coming up in 2025. So we are looking at updating Reset Your Child's Brain, but it is, you know, it's a big project. So I have to figure out how that's going to (laughs) work. Well, but I think it's so perfect the way it is. And you know what? I always say the truth never changes. Mm -hmm. So we can get insights and we can add to it, but the core of everything that we stand for it's green strong and everything that's in this book, it stands. It will stand the test of time. It will not change. And we're so happy to see what you get to add to it. And we will be the first to know, I'm sure. And we will be the first to tell everybody to go get that new book when it comes out. But for now, go get Reset Your Child's Brain. You can find it on our website under our resources where we have books that we recommend, but it's super easy to find. So today, Vicki, we're so glad you're here. Oh my goodness. We get so many questions and Um, you and I have talked about the answers to all these things for so many years, and it's just so fun to get you on to share all (laughs) the knowledge (laughs) that you have. So give us your background for people who are sort of new. Tell us your uh, schooling background and your professional background. Um, So I completed my psychiatry, adult and child at UC Irvine Neuropsychiatric Institute, Um, did a fellowship there. And then in 2012, I also became board certified in integrative medicine. So that helped me look at all the different lifestyle factors and, you know, just kind of reinforced everything I knew was, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of already knew about how the body heals best naturally and all the environmental and fake things that influence our health. Right. Right. And then I know you had just some experience just boots on the ground with teens that were really struggling with all sorts of issues. And you realize that the screen uh, influence really yes. was causing a lot of it. Yeah. So early on, I was working with a lot of kids with trauma. So they had a lot of hyper arousal and easily went to fight or flight. And I also was working with a lot of kids with tics, which is dopamine related, speaking of dopamine. Yeah. So I knew that there was a big um, dopamine component and that, and the withdrawal afterwards and all those things. Um yeah, so I was working with the toughest kids and I could get them better just by simply taking them off video games because that's yeah. all there was at that time in the wow. early aughts. Yeah. And then um, and then I just started using it in my private practice with kids, you know, with everything from anxiety to depression, OCD, and then started doing it with neighbors and, you know, family friends, things like <laughs> that. At the grocery like store. Yeah. Diagnoses, but like we're having the same yeah. symptoms and it just, yeah. you know, it worked across the board. We just love that you were just um, so willing to get out and put all the time that you you did put into this research and into your book to get this message out because you've just been a pioneer leading this whole movement. And there, like I said, there's so many people that just don't know. We just don't know what screens are doing. And of course, we're learning so much now. But what I am figuring out is it's just kind of like that smoking you know, dilemma we were in years and years ago in the 60s and 70s, it took like 30 years to get people Mm -hmm. to raise awareness in the culture and get people to change. And we don't want it to take 30 years. And we, we want every day, I mean, that's why I'm motivated every day um, to, to get up and just tell parents what's happening, because the answer is just so easy. I mean, it sounds hard at first, mm-hmm. but it's not And even in your book. And so in, um, in Dr. Dunkley's book, she has part one and she goes through the brain at risk and just basically what's happening to your child's brain. And this is what's so awesome 
about this book. She goes through all the clinical stuff, but then in part two, it's the four week plan to reset. And so many books out there talk about the problem, the problem, the problem, and nobody really, you know, says anything, but well, just take screens out of the bedroom and don't have the screen at the dinner table. Right. <laughs> and that's or all I can An hour before bedtime or. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so when we met, when Dr. Dunkley and I met, we were just so like-minded because I had been burned personally in our family and none of that worked. And she was like the first person I think that totally got it. Like she just got it. And we both agreed that 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 was the answer was you have to reset, you have to take it away. And that abstinence really is just like every other addiction out there, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. is the solution. And I love that you um, are so bold. I feel like a lot of people want to dance around this and make it pretty and make it feel better. And you know what? It doesn't feel good. And it it's not pretty and we need to be really bold in our messaging. And I love that you're just, you just walk alongside us with that. We love you so much. Thank you. (laughs) So yesterday I just got my first invitation um, to a child psychiatry residency in Chicago. That was the first, you know, I've, I've done some speaking with like pediatricians and stuff like that, but this was the first child psychiatry invitation. So that was like a milestone. So I thought that was a good sign. Yes. Yes. Everybody's eyes are opening up and they're like, okay, now we're ready. I think now we're ready. I think, I think 10 years ago, we, we weren't ready maybe for your message and we have a whole bunch of outliers that were ready. And now every, the masses are ready. (laughs) So let's, let's touch a couple things today and for sure we'll have you back and continue to answer the questions that we hear from parents in our Facebook group, as well as our connect group that's on our, on our site. But one, um, one email, I want to read this because this, this frames our first topic. So I'm going to read this. I am in, let me see. Uh, Hello. I'm looking for resources and advice on screen use in neurodivergent kids. I'm in some mom groups that advocate for screen use to calm and regulate autistics. I found several studies that talk about virtual autism as a result of too much screen and screen use in, in typical kids, but didn't find much on the advantages or the detrimental effects of screens and autistics. I'm being told that screens actually help autistic children learn language and social emotional regulation. In addition, they provide social interaction through online gaming for kids who struggle to maintain social relationships in person. We have been screen free for most of my son's life and he's doing well, but my mom's sense is that screens would be even more toxic for him as his brain is more sensitive and would make him dive deeper into social isolation. Oh my goodness. And I thought I have to call Victoria and we have to get you on here. So, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about this. It's kind of this twisted truth. Y'all, we've been mm-hmm. talking about twisted truths lately and things that seem true, but they're twisted. And that's why they're so confusing. So can you unpack this starting just with, with, with autism? Yes. Okay. First of all, before I forget, I wrote an article, autism and screen time, special brains, special risks that outlines everything I'm about to say in more detail. Okay. And we can put that link in our show notes. We yes, will do that. It's a psychology okay. today article. Okay. okay. Um, this topic makes me, aside from screens in schools, this is, this topic makes me more mad than anything, <laughs> any other topic. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, so as far as the physiology, yeah. Yes. As you just touched on, kids with autism, the, uh, the a brain with autism is going to be more vulnerable 
to many things, but there's a big overlap between things that are already going on in a brain that has autism and things that screen time causes. So for example, children with autism are prone to hyperarousal. Their arousal regulation mechanisms and pathways don't work very well. They're inefficient. Um, there's inflammation. There's you know all sorts of body clock stuff. Their melatonin tends to be low. So they're just very sensitive to things that are stimulating. So that's the first thing is you're taking someone who already has low melatonin and then you're suppressing their melatonin with the screen light. Also, we know that melatonin in, in itself it protects the brain. So it's not just has to do with the body clock. It's also um, anti-inflammatory. It's a hormone regulator. So the, if you think about that, um, the nervous system in the body in a child with autism, everything's just kind of out of whack and inefficient and inflamed. Mm -hmm. And then it just, you know, creates a tipping point at some point where everything just starts not working. So you're just compounding that problem just with the melatonin issue. Wow. I didn't um, think about melatonin with it. You yes. know, you think about dopamine. And children with ADHD, kind of the same right. thing, like their melatonin, and their body clock are not working properly. So you have the arousal um, regulation issues, melatonin, they, they you know, 100% of the time, they're going to have some kind of sleep disturbance mm -hmm. already, even mm -hmm. without screens. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing is that autistic brain tends to be um, overconnected in some areas and underconnected in other areas. So in general, it's not as integrated. And we know that screens do that as well. Even in a typical child, they tend to um, not, the brain isn't as integrated. It's not making as many pathways you know, maybe the visual pathways might get overstimulated, but the rest of the brain is tends to be underconnected. And you can see that in children who, typical children who've been gaming a lot, you can tell by the way they function and by the way they communicate and everything that they almost seem like they're on the spectrum. Right. And so if, if you're out there listening and you're new to all this science and you're trying to make sense of it, think of your child's brain, like there's highways everywhere that some are more paved than others. And I, I think, I don't know if this is right. Am I correct in saying that it's almost like there's little traffic jams that some areas get super busy, I guess. Yes. And others are sort of left off to, you know, not, they're not even under construction yet really. Right. Yeah. So um, when you, when you say hyper arousal, explain that just really briefly. So the arousal system affects attention and how, you know, revved up or alert or calm the child is. So normally the arousal system, you know, peaks, is higher during the day and then starts to slow down at night and then drops way down at night. So we have a, um, a sine wave for if it's healthy and strong, you know, if it's everything synchronized, arousal goes up and then down and then up and then down. And then when you get mad, you Ideally, you can regulate that level of arousal and be able to calm down. So kids with autism, not only do they have kind of a flattened um, sine wave, so they're hyper aroused even, in, even during sleep, but when they get um, stimulated, they can't calm back down. Mm. So, wow. and some people think, you know, ADHD is really just an arousal disorder. So, I mean, the arousal system itself is just sensitive in general. And then in our crazy yeah. world, you know, everybody's yeah. kind of hyper aroused. All yeah. The time. That's what I was going to say. And, I mean, <laughs> just the teen brain in general, right. It yeah. just seems like the, the impulse control and ability to control all 
that stimulation is already super Mm -hmm. compromised. And also to say one more thing, if you, when you understand that the arousal piece and hyperarousal and arousal dysregulation, it helps explain aggression, anxiety, um, difficulty sleeping, crying, like all of these things kind of, it's all kind of under this umbrella of hyperarousal and overstimulation. So how do screens affect that? Just what's the, the basic answer to this? Because it seems like when I put my child on a screen, uh, they look very regulated. So that's the, the tricky part is that externally, as you put the child on a screen, for some kids, they, you know, they, they seem like hyper-focused, they're focused on the screen. But meanwhile, you're activating all this stimulation while the child is still. So you're getting this fight or flight, all these stress hormones, um, the arousal, you know, the arousal goes up and they're like frozen. So you get this mismatch of the fight or flight response. So when they stop, it either gets trapped inside the body as anxiety or restlessness or whatever, or they explode and they're either crying or they're aggressive or, or they're just, they can't regulate themselves. They're just all over the place. Cause it's like all that energy got encapsulated in their brain. And then all of a sudden it like burst the minute. Exactly. Yes. And it's not just, you know, it's the, it's the, the activity itself, the game itself, whatever they're doing, but it's also just the screen light, the rapid pace of the screen, the vividness of the screen, all of that's not natural. Um, So all of that, and the multitasking, um, even like the Wi-Fi and all that stuff, there's evidence that all that stuff raises arousal also. So it's just a combination of multiple factors that act synergistically that raise arousal. So it's really hard to, um, you know, realistically to, to imagine that uh, if that happens with a typical brain, to, to imagine that a, an atypical, I mean, the neuro, I mean, the, yeah. the autistic brain can, can handle that. Right. It's just not right. realistic. Because it's really hard. Even for us now as adults, if you're mom or dad listening and you're thinking, well, I watch TV or I'm on my thing and I'm fine. I don't feel like punching a wall or whatever. And that's because your brain is already developed. It's, it's got all the cement highways there already done. When you are a child and you're on a screen, you're internalizing all of that, what you see. Those images are so powerful. They hit that visual cortex and then it, it, they go everywhere. And it's that energy. So if you're on, I mean, tell me if this is like the right way to say this, but like if you are watching something on TV and, and you're an adult and you see a fight scene in, you know, CSI Miami or something or whatever, you're, you're going to know what to do with that. You're, that you're, you're not going to go nuts. But when a kid sees that or they see, like you said, that rapid screen change and even if it's cartoons or or whatever, and they see this over and over and over again, that energy in their head, they don't know what to do with that activity. It's like, it took me forever to understand this, but I, but I understand how that energy gets bottled up now. They don't know what to do with it. And so the minute they walk away, they have a meltdown, they're freaking out. They're just really, it just has to come out somehow. It has to come out. Yeah. So it either gets trapped or it comes out and it, you know, eventually if it gets trapped, it has to come out somehow. So why does it, why do people think that screens help autistic kids learn language and social emotional regulation? It seems like it does just the opposite. Yes. Okay. So those are marketing messages and that are perpetuated by the software companies that develop programs 
that either try to teach kids with autism or they're trying to teach some kind of social emotional skill. And, you know, maybe those, then they might compare them to like a regular video game. So there's, you know, and then they say, oh, this, this, this software helps them do this or that. But it really goes against everything that we know about how screens affect the nervous system. For example, like the eye contact, like when you're in a state of hyperarousal, we tend to avoid eye contact because when you're in fight or flight, you're ready to fight. So eye contact is raises arousal level even more. So people avoid co- eye contact after being on a screen. So you imagine a kid who already has trouble making eye contact because it increases their arousal. And then you're saying that, you know, you're putting them on a screen and saying, oh, this is going to help their social emotional connection. It just doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So all of these um, notions and justifications, I mean, a lot of them come from, some of them might even be coming from a genuine place of trying to help children, but it just doesn't make sense and it doesn't align with what we see. So I have some families that, you know, I work at the regional center so in California, so it's, um, it's mostly neural de- developmental. It's all neural developmental, and a lot of them have autism, adults and children. Mm-hmm. And what I see is sometimes they'll get a device or software or something, and then the parent says, yeah, it seems to be helping. And then they start to regress. So it might help at the beginning because it's engaging them, mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually make a change in the brain that's helpful. Yeah. And that's why we call this a twisted truth because it yeah. seems like on one angle, it seems like it's working, but when you look at it in the whole entire thing, it's not. And it's it does make everything worse. This idea of the social interaction through online and gaming for kids who, you know, for kids who struggle with maintaining social relationships in person, this makes me cringe. Thank I get you. so upset with this because we know We know, and if you're listening, don't tune us out here. This is really important. We know that the way that kids have to develop is through the use of all of their senses, all of their senses, their sight, their sound, smell, touch, taste, even feeling temperature and being in the presence of another human being just stimulates so many senses. But when you are online, you have a very distorted sense of sight quite honestly, because what you're seeing online is usually not really what it is online. And then of course, sound is is very distorted because it's not like talking to someone who's sitting next to you. So you have two senses only that are being used, right? And even those two are not being used properly. They're not being used to their to the biggest capacity. And then you have none of the other ones. You have none. So I can't imagine how anybody, much less a autistic child can build a friendship online. I think that would be like the worst thing for them. They have to be in person, even though the stimulation I know is hard for them, but they, they, it's backwards. It's completely, it's a U-turn. It's getting worse when they try to do this online. Yes. And then when you're competing with the relationship online or you're competing with them interacting online versus being in person, of course the online one's going to win because it feels easier to them. Right. So just because right. it seems easier and they want to do it doesn't mean it's helping them in the long run or the short run. Wow. So I just think, you know, if, if you re- when you remove it altogether and then ha- and then be putting them in social situations. And thankfully now, you know, there's a lot more inclusion in sports and school, everything. Yeah. And kids understand autism more. Right. Um, 
I think those opportunities are there. But if you're if you're doing it at this that at the same time as as letting them build these relationships online or playing a video game or something, you're going to mm-hmm. constantly be competing with those pathways that are much more addicting. Right. So you can't be competing with that because you're already competing with you're trying to engage those. Um, the, you're trying to like pull them out of their inner world. Yeah. And you can't yeah. compete if their inner world is so exciting. You've got to yes. get rid of that part and pull, 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 pull and, and cut off everything else. It's really hard. But that's kind of what you're doing. You're, you're really trying to rewire everything. And you're making it worse. And, and things that seem like they're working up front. Listen, I know I lived it. I'm speaking from experience of making horrible mistakes with my oldest son. And he, he loved his virtual world so much. And um, I just made this huge mistake of thinking that that was okay because it was so convenient. And I think for mm-hmm. parents of autistic kids, Dr. Dunkley, they are just looking for something, right? They're just, they're just trying so hard to find the little glimmer of something that will give them a break. And they're trying so hard to make uh, screens fit. And so I just want to say, just be careful. If you have an autistic child, be careful that you don't fall in that trap of uh, allowing something that is down the road in a very short period of time going to make the situation worse. And none of us want to do that. No, no parent wants to make anything worse. They want to give their kids advantages. And so what would be the lifestyle as far as our current world we live in? What is then the best thing to do instead? What is, how, how should a family handle this? Especially if they have friends that are telling them this stuff. Yeah. And it's not just friends. It's, you know, It's also therapists, pediatricians, teachers. This is what this is why this this subject drives me crazy. Is because I when I start working with a child and the family and there's their whole team, I spend so much time trying to undo things because people are constantly undermining even just the reset, like doing a you know just starting with a fast and seeing if we can get them better regulated. Right. Um, and we just have meeting after meeting after meeting. So. I just want to say, if you're dealing with that, you know, know that you're going to have people who say the opposite of what I'm saying or saying, well, yeah. we, they need to, that's what they're interested in, or we can't take their rights away. You know, all of those things will happen. So that's why if you really understand what's going on with the brain piece, then you can just decide as the parent what's going to happen and, and just recognize that other people may not agree with you right away until they start to see the effects. Right. And they're, they're kind of looking at it in a different angle. So can you just talk briefly about what that increased amount of dopamine does to an autistic brain? Because I think it's fascinating how much research there is now with dopamine and screens. Like no one even argues this anymore. Like it's right. not even mm-hmm. like, it's just a standard fact that we know that screen time increases and causes these huge releases of dopamine just as much as drugs and alcohol and, you know, much higher even than sex, much higher than porn. We're that, I mean, we're not surprised, but this is the way the industry is designed. And I mean, we're not going to vilify the whole industry. We're just going to say, we need to understand just like nicotine and smoking. We have to understand what's happening. So how does this high level of dopamine that everyone gets when they get on a screen, how does that affect in particular this autistic brain? Well, I think, you know, one thing is that the autistic brain is the, the attention system is very fragile. So 
you're taking a fragile system and then you're hammering it with dopamine. Mm-hmm. So it fragments their attention. So they, they can be hyper-focused on a screen activity and then the rest of their attention is going to be even worse. Um, and then the other thing is, is that, you know, when dopamine hits those, when you get a huge amount of unnatural, unnaturally stimulated dopamine and it hits those receptors, the receptors downregulate and then they become less sensitive. So then they're trying to get, you know, it's chasing the dragon or whatever, you know, they, they call it with substance abuse. They're trying to keep getting the, that, um, those dopamine rushes, but now their dopamine receptors aren't working as well. Sure. So they're, so then they want more and more and more and more. And then the real world, because it's less stimulating, is not as exciting and they can't. And then the parents like, well, they're not interested in anything except for, you know, this game or whatever. So, or these characters. And that's, that's what happens. You know, what I see so clearly now that I never saw before when I was in the middle of it with Adam, I never saw it, but with the boys, I'm so sensitive and I can see how, what you're saying that natural, normal amount of dopamine really can make your kid happy. Like they were so happy yesterday being out there fishing, you know, but it's not this ridiculous amount of dopamine. So their receptors are fine. And it's why they get excited about catching a fish. It's why they get excited when they hit the baseball, when they get a new song on the piano, all that is making them super excited. Whereas with Adam, none of that would make him excited because his dopamine receptors were so banged up, right? Because they had been abused (laughs) with all this dopamine. So I can't even imagine for an autistic child, how confusing and frustrating and it's even more it's just so much more because they can't regulate back down very well like you said their system is so fragile it it's hard enough for an adult to do it much less a a typical kid and then when you when you take this and you layer this on top of it it's so hard it is so hard and i think understanding dopamine and understanding the melatonin, that is really critical here. You have to understand it. Otherwise you're going to get caught in the tornado and you're going to get all twisted up and think that these little glimmers of, oh, well, yesterday they were doing this game and they were so happy and they were so calm. And that's going to really confuse you. It's going to be very confusing. Especially, yes. I mean, when they do studies on stress on the brain, they look at families with, with, where the child has autism or families where a parent has dementia. Those are the two study groups they look at for stress effects. Mm. So, I mean, it's no joke that, I mean, these families are under a tremendous amount of stress and they use it for a much needed break. But I think you just, when you understand, when you, I think when you, if you give yourself a trial of saying, let's just remove everything for a few weeks and see what happens, then it doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. Yeah. And then you can see, you know, you see, the um, stereotypic behaviors or the stimming, you see that go down. You see their ticks quiet down if they have ticks. Um, you know, you see more smiles, you see more eye contact, you see more a broader range of emotion. Um, so, and then, and then the parent starts to see the possibility, okay, maybe they can be interested in other things and they start, you know, doing more things. Yeah. Our goal as parents is to figure out what those other things can be. Honestly, it's replacing it. It's always about replacing it. And do you have anything off the cuff that you can recommend um, for uh, maybe you have a, I don't know, eight-year-old autistic 
child and you're trying to take their screens away, or maybe you just haven't allowed them like this gal that wrote in. And so what, what would be a few things you could throw out? Especially at the beginning, like if you were just removing screens, starting with being outside and, and, you know, every kid's different. So some will want to swing and the parents like, well, he's swinging for two hours. I can't get him out of the park. I'm like, well, that's because he needs to be in the park. (laughs) So, (laughs) so just, you know, dedicating big chunks of time, bigger than you think of being outside that will help regulate them and start getting them to do other things, doing ball activities. Um, sometimes at the beginning, they may not do back and forth, but they may enjoy like having a ball, like, you know, a softball, like popped against their body or something like that. You know, I think most, most parents know that their child used to do certain things and then they stopped doing them. So kind of go going back to think about what they did when they were younger and making it very playful, very playful. I can't think of the name of this book, but it was about engaging a child who's at risk for autism. And they were just saying like, you know, always having this very excited expression on your energetic and excited expression on your face. Hmm. So you're trying to have them look at your face. And that's why I love the ball thing, like back and forth, because you can be laughing and joking and teasing and, you know, just things to engage that social component while you're doing movement and you're outside. That's really the best way. And then if there's, you know, some, some kids with autism, like certain board games or, um, doing puzzles or anything like that, just even if you're sitting next to them alongside them, just, you know, just brainstorm and think about what might work and don't, um, don't despair that they don't like anything because it might seem like that at the beginning. Yeah, that's a really good tip. You have to hang in there you have to be the coach. You have to know that it's going to work. You just have to get through that really hard time. And I would think that, um, I love the ball idea, of course, and we always had ping pong balls in our house. We have we, we bought huge buckets of ping pong balls <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and they would get a battle and see if they could do a hundred time or whatever at once. And those, that was really fun. We had a lot of fun with that, but I'm wondering if like art and clay and that kind of manipulative dude is that. Of course. Yes. All of that yeah. stuff is good. And that's something that, um, you know, that they could do as a solitary thing too, is just kind of get immersed in the, in the clay and of course, as Melanie knows, like all of that hand strength is good for that hand brain connection. Yes. Um, it, it does take some setting up, you know, all of these things take a little bit more time and energy to set up, but the, the reward is so huge. It's much better than having a huge meltdown. You can have things around your house. And so you can have a puzzle out. We always have a thousand piece puzzle out to this day. There's, there's one out. We started it last night. We keep that out all the time. You can have clay. There's different kinds of clay that you can have that aren't as messy as some. And so I really encourage moms and all to just keep this stuff in their purse when they're out and about or in the car, you know, you just be on the lookout for things that you can hand your kids and um, even Rubik's cubes and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things that they, that they can get busy doing. And it is up to you, the parent to be the coach, to lead and guide them in the right direction. And you know what? They get so much screen time just in the ebb and flow of life. They really don't need to have an hour a day or two hours a day. This is going to backfire on you. Trust me, this will backfire. They need to learn how to do their downtime and get normal amounts of baseline dopamine doing all these other fun things. They need not to destroy their dopamine receptors at a young age so they can truly find joy in the little things. That's kind of what it 
it's all about. So along with that twisted truth comes another one right behind it. And it's this idea. I'm going to skip to this one. Um, the twisted truth about screens as babysitters, because it seems like such a good idea. And one of the moms that wrote in said that they are in survival mode, that she's six months pregnant and they have some other life stresses going on, I think with her husband being sick. And so by dinner time, we are done and we're ready to check out. We've gotten in the habit of just going uh, to our beds and watching TV and her husband plays video games. And I look at social media, she says, and while our kids are all there watching three hours of TV before bed, I know it's way more than they should and it's not healthy, but what do you do when you're so exhausted and burned out and you just don't have the energy to participate or facilitate a family reading or games or whatever else? That's a tough one. Yeah, I was overwhelmed just reading this earlier. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that one of the issues that um, this this situation describes is that the kids aren't playing by themselves, mm-hmm. either solitary or together, without a parent doing it with them. But I, you know, I always just go back to doing the screen fast because I feel like if you just get rid of everything altogether they learn very quickly, it might be a rough couple of days to start entertaining themselves. And they have to know that it's actually gone and not just that they can negotiate or that they're going to get it on Saturday or whatever. If they actually know it's gone, that's a totally different situation. And they have to grieve that it's gone and then they actually move on to something else. And I just, I think, yeah, I think if if someone's pregnant and they're already doing that when the baby comes, it's just going to go really off the rails. Yeah. If they're using it for a babysitter, yeah. we, we can't, I did this. I was so guilty of this with Adam because I was pregnant with twins and this was so the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look how happy he is and everything's quiet and it all works. And we have to get out of that mentality. And I would say right up front, a couple things like what you just said, I would say what you do now is going to get worse and continue to get more. So Mm-hmm. always be aware of that, um, that when the baby comes and now you've got your hands full with all that, now that your, your other kids are going to be trained just like Pavlov's dog, right? They're right. going to be trained to just want to turn that screen on. So if you do the hard thing now for a couple of weeks or even a month and say, no, we're getting rid of it all for now, they will find something else to do. They will cry. There will be meltdowns. There'll be all that stuff that happens, but they will find something to do. And I have found that one of the best things you can do right away that you can do right now without even thinking is turning music on mm-hmm. and age appropriate music. So if you have toddlers turn some fun toddler music on and, and totally resist the urge to put the video on with the video. You don't need the video. You need the music. And that just sets such a happy tone in your home. It is I don't know what it is about. I mean, I kind of know what it is about music and it stimulates all these different areas of your child's brain. And so they're feeling very stimulated in a good way. They're not feeling bored and then they can still do something else, you know, with blocks and Legos and art, lots of art, lots of paper, lots of crayons or markers or whatever your kids can do. Just something that they can do and hold in their hands and do. And when you have that music going on in the background, that is a wonderful babysitter. I, I know that, you know, Vicki, some people are not going to believe me on this, but it really is. It really is. It fills the air, <laughs> it yeah. fills, you know, and then as they get a little bit older, 
the books on tape are really good. And you can have, as your kids are a tiny bit older, they can have downtime in their room, you know, for a time in the evening when parents are trying to get the dishes and do the whatever, or there's so many things that you can do, but getting in the habit of TV for three hours before bed for your kids. And then for your husband to be playing a video game and for you to be scrolling social media, listen, we are not judging over here. We know exactly how this happens. We've all been guilty of this. We all know how easy, but we also know the detrimental effects and we know down the road, you're going to be paying a huge price. I don't think that men and dads should be playing video games at all when kids are awake. If it is something that they just feel really strong about, then you need to do it when your kids are asleep. They do not understand why they can't play. They don't understand what you're doing. And of course, we have such little time during the day with our kids anyway, because we're all working or we're at school or all these things are happening. Why are we playing video games when we have just another you know, hour in the evening before they go to bed? I think a lot of little kids don't go to bed early enough. That's another problem. <laughs> you know, they go to bed when we go to bed and that's not good. They need to have an earlier bedtime. And, yeah. you know, teen- and almost universally, like the parents will say, when we take the kids off the screen, this kids start going to bed earlier on their own. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, they, uh, they're, that arousal system has been re-regulated. Yes. They start to wind down more naturally and they're ready to go to bed. Um, think for younger kids, especially in that, that situation where, you know, they're in survival mode. If you clear everything out, like the Montessori lifestyle, if you clear everything out and then just have out three to five things that they can pick from, and then you rotate those things. So like in our house, we don't have a playroom, but we put everything in the office closet. And then I, you know, then he's got stuff. My son has stuff in the dining room or the kitchen or wherever I need to be so that he can play next to me and then I, and, you know, it is, it does take work to like clear things out and sometimes things drive me crazy, but I mean. Yeah. You put it all away and then you bring out a couple of things yes. ne- next month and all of a sudden they look new again. And, um, yeah. you know, think of some other family traditions and rituals you can do too, like taking a walk after dinner that will get their energy out. That will start to set that tone and you want to get this tradition in and the routine going. So this is what we do. We eat and then we go for a walk and then we come home and we put our music on while we clean the dishes or get ready for tomorrow and get that routine going. And then that energy that they spend when they're out walking will help them, you know, with bedtime. And of course I didn't see anything about a bath. A bath always is really good at night. I think it's, it can be calming, but um, the the idea, I'm sorry here. She goes on to say that her, their husband, um, you know, is gaming and, he has not been as diligent with researching screen issues. I think the main thing, if you have a husband who is not able to get to the research and really understand the educational piece of this, I think one of the best things you can tell him is about dopamine and about how the dopamine, how it's like a drug. It's higher than a drug. I read one statistic where cocaine is 300 or 225% over baseline dopamine and video games are 300% over baseline. So I think he can understand even that one little fact. Um, if you don't have time for him to go through our parent course or to read Dr. Dunkley's book, even though her book is even just the first part of it, if you can get mm-hmm. your husband on board to read that, I know that can be really, really a struggle for a lot of, um, a lot of families. So, and we're not picking on the dads. It's just their, 
their flow usually doesn't include sitting around with a bunch of dads talking about screen right. time. That is such their, a good point. Yes. Their life. And they don't understand, but they can also very be very logical and understand, hey, this is really increasing my kids' dopamine. You know what? You're right. I, we need to go fishing instead yeah. um, because that's going to be the normal amount of dopamine and not the and high. I have a, um, you know, a nuts and bolts free email course on my website, drdunkley.com slash video games. Oh, good. That yeah. is just four emails. Very easy, you know, for a dad to digest. But also um, another, there's an author called Eric Sigmund. Um, Eric is with it. A-I-C, Sigmund. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a an article. He's a neuroscientist and psychologist. His article that I'm thinking of is time for a, um, Time for a new view on screen time. I think that's what it's called. Okay. But he, I, I feel like it's very, um, it's science based, but very digestible. Okay. Um, and I, that's one article I've ha- I've referred some dads to read because I feel like, I hate okay. to say it, but just coming from a man, they are like, okay, right. this makes sense. Okay. And it seems, yeah. you know, and this guy's like on the parliament and the UK. And I mean, he, he you know, he has a lot of authority in Europe. Yeah. So Excellent. I think, um, yeah, that, that might be a good place to start too. That's a really good practical tip. And we're going to put that in the show notes as well. So, so let's end. We've, we've got one more that I want to cover with you. And then of course, we're going to have you back sooner than later um, next time, because we have a whole pile of these things. But um, the final thing that I want to talk about is this twisted truth about tablets <laughs> and iPads. I think it's really important with the topic today of autistic children, as well as using screens for babysitters. This just falls right in. What is it about tablets that seem to be such a good idea? This is one of those things that seem like a good idea, but they really, you know, but it really isn't a good idea. That's why we call it a twisted truth. The the tablet, Dr. Dunkley, that I have had more moms tell me over the years how the purchase of the tablet was just mm-hmm. uh, the the most horrible decision they ever made, and I hear these stories of how their fight the kids are fighting over the tablet. They are um, fussing and saying, "Well, so and so got to use it longer than I did yesterday, and I I know we only have an hour a day on the tablet, but I want to borrow my time from tomorrow, and I want to use it, and I I I didn't." use it for my extra five minutes yesterday. Cause remember you interrupted me, mom. And then I didn't get this. And these, <laughs> these moms are telling me it's just the negotiating nightmare. Yes. yes. And I, I think mean, that mom in that email, yes. She also mentioned the policing of it was exhausting. Oh, yeah. the policing. And I, I remember one particular mom, but let me tell you, I've talked to so many moms to say that the purchase of the tablet was the beginning of the worst thing that they ever did. And so please listen to us right now. If you have a tablet, start thinking about where it is so you can go hide it or just throw it out. I think the problem with tablets, uh, Vicki, is that I think we confuse them for toys. Why is it? We, we somehow we think, oh, well, we're not ever giving our child a smartphone and we're certainly not going to give them Call of Duty video game. So we're going to give them a tablet instead. It's like, it's like a toy because they, you get the little case and it's all the fluorescent color. Yes. <laughs> and we and hand I think it it's, over. The, it's the mobility. Yeah. It's the, it's the convenience, the cost of convenience. So, um, and I used to always say the iPad was the devil because it just, I had so many people in my practice that was like, oh, that when the iPad came in, everything just fell, you know, fell apart. And I used to, you know, do um, a timeline, like 
okay, when did the symptoms start? When did this device come in? When did this, and it was either a smartphone or a tablet or the iPad. Often it was the iPad is even worse because the parent's using it too. Right. But there's something in a, in a parent's brain mm-hmm. and that thinks, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying, there's just something in our brain that we think that the tablet is like a kid version of a, a bigger screen or something like it's like somehow we think that it's you know yeah. for kids and of course it's marketed that way duh that might be one of the reasons why we're thinking that but I remember seeing a video one time and then my brother was here and he recreated the video at our house and he put catfishing um, this catfishing app it's like from Perina or something and he put this catfishing app on an iPad that he had and put it down on the floor and our cat went bonkers because <laughs> it was like this fish like you know uh-huh. uh, swimming around and it was the funniest thing watching our cat go crazy thinking there was a fish swimming on our den floor you know and I thought oh my gosh this is just like a child you know right. we, there's nothing smart about my cat I mean my cat's brain is pretty small and I don't think the frontal cortex is totally connected but the cat's just doing this out of reflex and that's what happens when your kid's have an iPad with some weird game, you know, and they're swiping at it. And we are so impressed, you know, that they're so smart. And then when that thing happened with my cat, I no longer am ever impressed when I see a toddler with an iPad. Like, right, I, right. it's not impressive. It's a Even reflex. if they're doing some kind of educational game, it's the same. Those educational companies are utilizing all of those reflexes and developmental pathways that get explo- exploited. Yeah. So they are well aware of all of the things that draw the eyes, that that orient right. the brain, that hijack those reward pathways, those, you know, the need to um, succeed or accomplish right. something or go to the next level or whatever. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, um, but it comes with a cost, you know, it comes with a absolutely. huge cost. But even some of the other ones that are just, you know, some kids are just tapping on stuff or, you know, or the YouTube, the endless scrolling through YouTube videos, things like that. I mean, it just—it doesn't even matter what they're doing. It's all the same consumption of rapid amounts of media. Right. And it all triggers that same area of their brain and it all increases their dopamine. Because if it did not increase their dopamine, they would walk away from it. It would right. not be interesting. It would not be so a problem. It yes. would not be a problem. That's how you know. And when I asked my oldest son one time, you know, Adam how does a parent know if their child really has a problem with gaming or I guess with social media too? And he said, mom, if they're bored with it after about 15 minutes, then they're fine. Then they don't have a problem. So if your child is bored with the iPad, like it's like, eh, they can take it or leave it, which I don't believe there's a little toddler out there (laughs) that is like this. But if, if it's like a boring thing to them, then that just means somehow that dopamine pathway isn't getting stimulated or their reward pathway isn't responding. It means you got lucky. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, but it's like typically never going to happen because over time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, the kid's going to get immersed in it. It's Mm -hmm. just, or they're going to find something that's a little bit more higher level that becomes engaging to them. Exactly. Like what you said. Also, a lot of families will say, like, oh, you know, this child can take it or leave it. This child is obsessed. So you really have to live, you know, catering to the child who's obsessed, and everybody else will adapt. 
But if you have a child who has a problem, then you have to structure your home. Just like in our home, we had our kids were different ages. We couldn't put movies on that were, you know, for 14 year old kids with the toddlers there. You can't do that. So you've got to structure your home to the the lowest age in your home. And the other thing about that, if you have a child who you might say, oh, you know, today on a Monday, he's fine. Well, let me tell you, by Friday, he may not be fine. And we tend to make assumptions because our brain doesn't want to keep thinking about things. So we assume, well, the certain child back when he was 10 years old, he was fine. Well, guess what? Now he's 15. Now he's not fine, but our brain hasn't quite caught up with that yet. Mm -hmm. So it can change overnight. A child who maybe is bored with screens one day, you know, a few months from now, something may change. And I see a lot of this happen when kids drop out of sports, when they break their leg or something and get an injury and then they're on the couch and then they get the iPad and it doesn't take long. It only takes minutes. It just takes minutes for them to get hooked in. That's so interesting. And I've gotten so many emails from parents saying that exact story. Like, um, you know, he had a sports scholarship and then he got injured and then he went to, you know, then he got hooked, but it didn't become apparent until they went to college. Right. It's such, it's such a slippery slope. And it's such a gamble. Like every time I hear parents say, well, we're just introducing it and just, you know, we're just going to do it in small amounts because mm-hmm. we want them to learn to handle it. And I'm, I, it just makes oh. me cringe because I'm, it's oh just such goodness. a gamble for so many reasons. Yeah. They yeah. might end up being okay, but the chances of them not being okay, it's at least one in three. That's yeah. high odds. Yeah. Well, and you think about the odds of not wearing a seatbelt, not putting sunscreen on, allowing your kids to smoke, not making them wear a bicycle helmet. We would never do any of those things. And those right. odds are probably even better than these. And so this twisted truth of I have to let them do it now so they'll learn whatever. We're going to tackle that one the next time you come on, because that is a huge, <laughs> that is a huge it problem. Is. And we don't want to sound, you know, um, like we're being judgmental around it, but we are going to cover that the next time you come and we're going to bring in the science around all that and talk about how we can make better choices based off the science instead of based off all the opinions that are floating around out there. And I will say that back when you and I first met many years ago, um, I think the, the opinions were much stronger than they are today. I feel like people are leaning more on the science today. They are because we do have the studies now. And even this topic of autism, the topic we covered with using screens as babysitters and even the whole thing about the tablet, we know so much more now about how this is affecting everyone's brain and we have to take advantage of this. But if your children have any of these problems, you don't have time to make mistakes with this. There's not enough time. Like you don't get it. You can't afford it. it. Just like you said, it's not, I mean, the risk is just too high and um, we're, we're not trying to scare anyone and we don't want you to feel bad if you've allowed things that that you shouldn't. Like Dr. Stacy always says, once you know better, you do better. And we're always talking about getting information and then tomorrow's a new day and take one day at a time. I say that all the time. Do not be overwhelmed with the gravity of this and thinking, what am I going to do for the next three months if I don't give my my sweet autistic child his screen? I'm, you know, you're going to deal with it for one 24 hour period at a time. And then you're going to think about it tomorrow when you wake up and have fresh dopamine in your brain <laughs> and uh-huh. you're going to be able to do it again. But we can't think in terms of long periods of time with this. So as we wrap up, uh, Dodger Dunkley, please, can you share just some words of encouragement for the parent who is dealing with a child who's 
struggling and other, you know, neurodevelopmental kind of issues, or maybe it's that mom who is overwhelmed with uh, pregnancy and, and all the things she's got to do. And then her husband's gaming. (laughs) I mean, what are just some words of encouragement to help them like move to the next step here? I think I, I always tell people to start with the educational piece. Mm -hmm. I think of course, I think, you know, start with reset your child's brain, especially as you said, the first three chapters, if you get that part, then, and then you start brainstorming and thinking about what you're going to do and realize you're going to have to do some planning, get a notebook, start taking notes, brainstorm, um, think about your schedule, what you're going to do, your daily schedule, like the routine you were saying, things like that. Realize you're not going to convince everyone. If your husband's not on board with something, Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, you don't need to convince him that this is what's going on or that this is going to work. You just need to convince them to honor what you're asking. That's it. Will you help me with this? You don't need to convince them at this time. And also, everyone is just in the same boat. Everyone's trying to, and, and you know, life is a journey. Just keep trying to tweak things. Don't give up. If you're too tired to do it that day, you know, go to sleep and wake up and maybe tomorrow you'll have enough energy to, you know, redo everything. I just, just don't give up. Yeah, that's really good. Don't give up. We need to hear that because it's so easy to throw the towel in. And And one more thing, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think um, just hearing from other moms that have teenagers and also some moms who are also middle school teachers, there's a growing number of um, kids who aren't getting smartphones. Yes. So I think that is a huge, um, you know, that's, that would be awesome if this trend actually starts happening. Melanie, I've been talking about this for years, that this is what needs to be happening. (laughs) I do think, you know, the pendulum is starting to swing in the other direction. Just don't feel like you're alone because there are other parents who are screen strong. You just need to talk to them. Yes, they are. And they're showing up everywhere. We've got, uh, large, large number of families in our um, Screen Strong Families Facebook group. I would encourage you to go to our website as well and to the Connect group and start connecting. There's a smaller group in there that we're able to work with a little bit more. So go over to our Facebook, I mean, go over to, go over to our website and um, sign up. You know, one of these days, Facebook actually may be gone, so we don't want to lose you. <laughs> so I'm, re- I'm thinking about that too. Dr. Dunkley, thank you so much for your time today. It's always so wonderful to speak to you. And just um, we just want to just give you a big old virtual hug here. Oh, I wish- thank you. It's been a pleasure, <laughs> Melanie. Okay. And we will have you back soon. So thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, please email us at team at screenstrong.com. And we will answer your questions. Also, the ScreenStrong.org is our website. And I just want to say that your homework is to get Dr. Dunkley's book. If you don't have this, like our the gal that texted me right when we got started, this is next to the Bible um, (laughs) on her bookcase. So actually, it's probably not in her bookcase. It's probably in her kitchen on her countertop at all times where it is in my house. So get this book, Reset Your Child's Brain. And Now, when I say to read this book, I don't want you to just tune me out. What I want to say is find sometimes in the nooks and crannies of your day. I know you're busy. You have little kids running all around or like, you know, you're just working. You have all the things. Keep it in your car. The way that I read books when my kids were little is I kept them in my car and I read 
little pages and pieces of chapters when I was waiting in carpool line and just waiting in my normal sort of routine. And so I kept it with me and you cannot even understand how much you can read when you do that. Do not wait for this big, long pocket of time to sit down and read. The other thing you can do is put it by your nightstand and try to read a chapter before bed every night instead of looking at your social media. And then the third thing is you can get the audio um, recording. And that's also really good to put in the car and listen. And it's just fascinating how much reading and research I got done in my car. I'll just say that's just a tip. So that is your homework today. And we'd love for you to share this podcast with your friends and be on the lookout for our course that's coming up. I'm going to just keep saying it because we've got your back. Help is on the way. We are going to explain all this science in a kid-friendly format, and you're going to have it really soon. Remember, we've got your back, and we are here to help you not not go off the rails with your screen time and your kids. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong. Stay strong.